Bright is with us, all right? <laughs> I, I, I was looking for it. I, I missed him. I didn't catch him until just a few moments ago when somebody said something in, uh, in prayer, but it's good, uh, really good to have you with us, Bingo, and it's been good to see all of you that have been kind of making your way back in this, in this strange season we've been in for the last year, and today we're continuing, uh, we're continuing a series uh, through the Gospel of John, um, but we, we had some announcements that we made earlier about taking some steps forward, but I did want to share uh, this morning that we have also decided to, um, to, to hold off to pass on our annual love feast this year. So we will not be having love feasts, which typically takes place on the Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday after service on Palm Sunday. Uh, we just kind of felt that might have been, the deacons felt that may have been too big of a step to go from, you know, wearing masks to social distancing to take your masks off and wash each other's feet. Now, although um, this is certainly something we are going to do, uh, we, we expect to have right back in the future next year. We have some plans that we had prepared for the last love feast that we do still hope to uh, uh, to participate in uh, next year. So we, since today, um, we are not going to be, uh, I'm announcing that we're not going to be doing our love feast this year. Uh, the title of today's message is, the, is More Than a Moment. Because what we have in John 13 is certainly meant for more than just a moment. There's no question that the experience of Love Feast is something that I think all of you can and should take with you that is powerful. We're going to talk about that today. But there's something from this text that there's theology, there's application, and there's a commission for every one of us right here in John chapter 13. And so the title of today's messages I've shared is more than a moment. And so before we get into this, can we just, you know, embrace the awkward a little bit for a moment? Do you know that, that every, if you take it uh, in a practical context, almost every, if you can turn my gain down just a little bit, I'm a little hot up here, but if you, in every practical context, you could take almost any um, religious sacrament and it's kind of strange, okay? Like baptizing someone, Without a meaning behind it, what pastor's getting some guy and he's dunking him in the booth and he's dunking a brother, we do it three times. That's kind of cruel, really, if you, if you take it out of a context, right? Communion, you know, I don't know about you, but, but drinking a little water, here, drinking a little uh, juice here and then a wafer, I'm still hungry after that. So it doesn't do anything for my hunger. So it's a little strange outside of context. And I promise you, that love feast, the, the, when we come together for a meal similar to the meal that Jesus had at Passover, and we wash each other's feet, it can be incredibly strange outside of context. And it's okay as Christ followers to admit that out loud. Yes, I understand it could be a little strange. Yes, I understand it can be a little awkward. And, it, and in this passage, in just a few moments, you're going to see how it was strange and awkward for the disciples to experience this from Christ. So if you allow me just to embrace the awkwardness for a moment, I want to give you just a few bad, really bad feet jokes, okay? Can I have your permission to give some really bad feet jokes? Okay, I heard one no, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, because it's said that most Americans, almost all of us, we all have a feet fetish. We do. Because most Europeans prefer meters. Told you, bad joke. Feet, we measure everything in feet, they do meters. My grandfather hated people with deformed feet. He was lactose intolerant. Mahatma Gandhi, I told you these are bad. Mahatma Gandhi, as you know, walked barefoot most of the time, which produced 
an impressive set of calluses on his feet. He also ate very little, which made him rather frail, and with his odd diet, he suffered from bad breath. This made him a super callous, fragile, mystic hex by halitosis. Now, I have one more that uh, has nothing to do with feet, but my nephew told it to me last night. And it, and it is uh, Lent season, and you know most Catholics are practicing Lent. And so, you know, in Catholic churches, they have holy water. It's part of you come in to church, and you, you, you put some of the holy water. You do the crucifix before you come in. But you know how they make holy water? They burn the hell out of it. <laughs> Excuse me. They boil the hell out of it. Dang it. Messed up the joke. But that's what they do to make holy water. Okay. All right, bad joke time is over. Um, Love Feast is a brethren tradition, which we would like to invite you to, but it was Christian long before it was brethren. And in this text, we're going to find some application for today. Rod read the first part of this text all the way down to verse 5. And in just a few moments, um, we're going we're gonna to finish this. But what, where this is taking place at is um, what is believed to be a Passover feast. Now, the next time we do Love Feast, which we had plans for last year, we do hope you all can join us because we're, we're, gonna, we're planning something really special where we're going to have a Seder together. Have you, how many of you have ever even heard of a Jewish Seder meal before? Okay. This is a, a custom that many, um, many Jews do, Orthodox Jews do every time this time of year. Everything at the table has significance. It reminds them of who they are, reminds them of the Messiah that is to come, but we, we would be having, our plan is we have a Messianic rabbi, um, a Christ-following rabbi, that will be doing the Seder for us. So this is still coming up in another year, but this is where this is set. It is set at this time. And these are some of Jesus's, in, Ma- in John 13, these are some of Jesus's last moments with his disciples. Jesus is aware of the timing and what is taking place around him. This is a very special, sacred time that we find in John 13. So let me begin with a word of prayer as we get back into the word of God. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is spoken to one generation and has been passed on from generation to generation. And now we have access to it today. And Lord, today, as we read this passage of this this unique experience that you had with your disciples. Today, may we be empowered by the theology in it, by the application in it, and most importantly, the commission that we are now to go forth with this truth and be a light to the world that we live in. May our ears be open, may our hearts be soft, and may we be ready to act according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read now verses 6 through 11. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, and here's the key point, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew 
who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not everyone was clean. So first thing we're going to do is talk about the theology in this. And I, I don't do a lot of theology on Sunday mornings. I, I, I kind of have a gauge, wonder and gauge of just how many of you are really interested. But this is some important theology. So meaning when I say theology, I'm oftentimes talking about man's understanding of, of the way God works. And I'm going to give you some theological terms. These are the kind of things you'll learn in, in Bible college and seminary. But just big words that, I, that I, I'm pretty sure you'll have a really quick grip on. But here's what Jesus says. He says, unless the, the, the key point here is it says that we are clean, <clears throat> but must be partially cleaned again. We are clean, but must be partially cleaned again. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you, unless you allow God to wash you, you cannot have part with him. There's first a theological statement here about yielding to the presence of God, about allowing Jesus to do a work in your life. It doesn't just happen. You must allow God to work in your life. You must give him permission to work in your life. And what that looks like can be different things in different scenarios. It could be responding to his word. It could be asking for forgiveness. It could be admitting that his ways and And what he says about something is right, and your opinion that's counter to that is wrong. Allowing God's word and God's wisdom to do a work in your life, that must happen. The Holy Spirit will not overtake you, overpower you. He is a sovereign, suffering, loving God who allows us to make our own choices. So key theological point, you must allow Christ to do the work of regeneration, of washing in your life. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more out of John 15 of what it means to remain in the vine and keep letting God do this work. And so speaking of that, as Jesus tells Peter, he needs to be partially clean. There's a three, three pieces of this word that we're going to learn today. I'm sure you've heard it before called sanctification. Now, I didn't put an outline on a PowerPoint slide, so I want to give you the three-part outline, and you're going to say it after me so you, so you know as I'm going through. First, there's, there's what's called instant sanctification. Next, there's what's called progressive sanctification. And next, there's what's called future or final sanctification. Let's call it final sanctification, okay? So just say, so I'll say these words again instant, progressive, final. Will you say them with me one time? Instant, progressive, final. Okay, there's your three part outline. I don't have it up there, so I want you to be able to, to understand these things because they're all in Scripture. And if you. If, you don't, if you're not aware that there's three different things, you can be really confused as to what this term sanctification even means. What Jesus is talking about, that you're clean, but you don't need to have your whole body cleaned again. We see this theological point throughout Scripture. So here they are. Here's three things. The first one, instant sanctification. We find this in a couple of verses like Romans 6, 17 through 18 and many more verses than this. But Romans 6, 17 through 18 gives us a good example. He says, but thanks be to God that through that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Next one, Romans 6.11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's the something that happens where the old person has died and the new has began. There is an instant moment of cleansing, the moment that you say yes to Christ as your Lord and Savior. The best way to view that is that now, upon the time of judgment, when Christ looks at, looks at you, when God, look, God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you in all of your sin. He sees the sacrifice that Christ has died for your atonement. So instantly, the moment that you say yes to the living God, to Christ as, as your Messiah in your life, you are sanctified. Okay? The next one is progressive. This is referring to that which must continue throughout all of our life. We got a few verses for this one in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're continuing to be transformed into his image. The next one in Colossians 3.10 says, and, and, have been, and we have put on the new self, which is being renewed, being renewed. Present tense words there, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. And then the last one, Philippians 3.12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal. There is something that must continue to happen in your life. There's a sanctification, a cleansing, as Jesus' illustration in John 13, that must keep happening in your life. That's the progressive sanctification. And final, we call final sanctification. We can read a text about this in Revelation 21:27. This is referring to those who will get to enter into the new heaven. And it says nothing Impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful. In my Bible, or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. My Bible, instead of impure, it says unclean. They cannot enter unless they are clean. Now this is what Jesus is saying in John 13. And this is what the revelation is referring to as well a final something a final sanctification now i've been using this big word <clears throat> sanctification but what does it even mean it's a, it was a word that was first used back in the old testament to talk about the instruments the stuff like the the bra, the brazen altar the burnt the, the 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 altar where the burnt offerings were the the incense all of those things that were used for the tabernacle they were called instruments they were to be set apart they were to be made holy like the holy water i was referring to earlier they were to be set apart and made holy for worship that's where we see this first glimpse of this word sanctification this theological word now and christ refers to it for humans for individuals to be set apart to do the work of the Lord. You have been set apart to serve the living God. Now, I want you to think of yourself in that way. Sanctified. To be sanctified. And in this context, in John 13, we can participate together in sanctification. That's what is happening with this communion in John 13 of Jesus washing each other's feet. He is setting them apart from the filth of this world. Uh, there's a passage in Corinthians that talks about our marriage relationships, and I've always thought this weird passage. There's a commission to the husbands to, 
to, to purify your wife by washing her with the water with the word. I always thought that passage was really strange, and I never completely understood what it meant. But the, the metaphor is that it's as if our spouses have been, they, 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 they carry stuff with them. They feel emotions, and they, they keep a lot of stuff with them, just like the filth of this world and the, the, the identities that they've clung on to. They believed bad things about themselves, or they've taken on the burdens of the world. And with your affirmation, with your affection, with your pointing and reminding them of who they really are and who they are to you, they are purified. They are cleansed. I want you to see this metaphor right here in the washing of feet. This is what Jesus is doing to his disciples. He's reminding them who they are and whether they re- what they really don't understand yet, what it's going to be like when he is gone that you all need to continue to wash each other, to serve each other. And speaking of that, the next point we get to in, <clears throat> excuse me, in John 13, verses 12 through 15. If you have your Bibles, John 13, verses 12 through 15. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now the application, I gave you the theology, the application in this passage is that to disciple is to serve. To disciple someone is to serve someone. See, Jesus did something here in this passage that his disciples, before he did it, none of them, none of those 12 men, okay, I have to say that because the word men is true. There might have been a female in that category. The female may have seen it as her role to do this if nobody else was doing it because that's the way culture was at this time. But these 12 men, they felt like they were part of, man, we are in the Talmudim. That's what it was called. They were called the Talmudim. If you were a Jew following a rabbi, you were part of a Talmudim. And they, we are in with the best rabbi of all time. We are special. He's going to be the king of kings. We're going to sit right on the throne beside him. We are part of something special here. They would have never had the audacity To do what typically a slave would have done, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. There were slaves in that culture, people who who were, whether it was from their um, their family, they were still in bondage somehow. They had debts they had to pay off. They would have slaves at the door or servants that would wash someone's feet when they came in. And if there weren't any servants, it was often customary to the woman of the house would be the one to wash everyone's feet. But these testosterone-filled guys would never in a million years get in the culture of that day, get down on their knees and begin to do what Jesus just did. Now think, just you almost have to put yourself in their shoes for a minute to, to capture the humility of what Jesus was doing. It's, it's, it's impossible to put this in our culture. We just don't have anything like this in America today. If you, if you can think of a good illustration, let me know of one. The only thing I can come up with is like, you know, because in our country, when people that do these things, we pay, they get paid to do these kinds of things. I could think of like taking out our trash, you know. That's not something that, 
you know, we think it's kind of a gross job, but these days they got these robot, arm, robot arms that do it for them, and they, trash collectors these days get paid pretty good money, okay? Some people want to get into that industry because they get paid pretty good money. We don't even know what it's like to have someone of a lower class serve us and we be okay with it, but this isn't just serving and, and getting paid. This is doing a dirty job, a dirty, gross job that you need to wash my feet, It was a customary thing to offer those who would come into your house to wash their feet. And you got to find yourself. You got to find yourself in this story somehow. Because we still have class systems today. They're very different than what they were in the Bible. You know, many times these class systems were set that way for life, many people were servants for life. You know, if you were if you had a trade, you had your own business, you would kind of be in that middle class tradesman category. Or, of course, there were the nobles, and the only way you really were ever to become a noble is if you were born into the family or somehow you, you raised up a, an army that overpowered the king. And that was about it, okay? So those class systems were there, but we still have them today. You still understand these things today. I mean, in, in Preble County, it's a lot different. It's, if you're a guy, the status symbol isn't a BMW or a big house or even anything that you wear. Not in this county, right? But most all of you know that that's, if, if the status symbol here is you got, if you're a guy, you got to have a, a big stinking truck, okay? You, if you can't, don't have a big stinking truck, you got to have a big stinking barn, okay? And if you can't have those things, you got to have a, some land, okay? That's it. Those are the status symbols here in Preble County. We don't care which, we, we don't care what you wear or how big your house is, but you got to have a barn, you got to have a truck, you got to have some land. And that's, we still have these things that we want. We still have these categories that we tend to often want to put ourselves in. And we have these things that some, for some stupid reason, we've told ourselves that we will no longer do anymore or that is lower than me. And Jesus says to all of his disciples in this moment, that is a bunch of garbage. Because I am here to serve. I came to serve. And that's what he is doing to these guys in this moment. They are being humbled. See, Hebrews 12, 2, I love that text. It says, Jesus took upon the cross, scorning its shame. The shame that that what crucifixion was, was that society had labeled someone inferior, that they not only should they die, because our executions in our culture are fairly humane for the most part, they, they were worthy of dying the most inhumane death that could be a spectacle for all of the public to see and to participate in however they wanted to by spitting on them or throwing things at them. Jesus says he took upon the cross, scorning its shame, so that no one on this planet would ever be considered inferior. Now, we can understand that in that text, but that's what Jesus was doing in this moment with his disciples. <coughs> Jesus says, do you, he says to his disciples, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher now, but this is what now you should do. And as part of the Talmudim, they must now do what their rabbi did. Mark 10, 43 through 44 says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. To disciple, 
is to serve. It is to break class system expectations. It's to break age demographic expectations. It's to break the giftedness expectations. It's to break that attitude that says, come to me rather than I'm going to go to them. And what that's to break that attitude of, and what can they do for me? If I enter this relationship, what can they do for me? <coughs> See, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Um, I, know, I know I have, and, and just as I've been a pastor, but I think it's, it's getting harder these days because of all the social media and just all the different things in our culture. It's getting harder to make new friends, to have new people that we consider to be our friends, not just acquaintances, but friends, people that we're going to spend time with. Because I, I'm just guessing that some of you have had this experience as well. And it's funny how I'll have conversations with people about this. And, and oftentimes what it comes down to is where we can become so selective they have to kind of fit a certain mold or a certain type of person. They don't say these kinds of things. We have all these little boxes in this small little category that they need to fit in so that they can be our friend. That makes it really hard. It makes it really hard for you to find someone that you would want to spend some time with or some, do some things with that you don't already have. And one of the, the biggest keys, though, the other side of this is to stop looking for what you can get out of that relationship, as it says, to disciple is to serve, and to start looking for someone that could really use your help, someone that you could give to, someone that you could make an impact in their life, whether whatever it may be, whether it's just an ear to listen, whether maybe you have resources, maybe you're willing to do some work that nobody else is, maybe you're just willing to affirm them when nobody else will, Maybe, maybe you have time to give, but looking for relationships for what we can give. And those things tend to happen whenever there's a really good point. It's just like an extra um, worship note from heaven. That's a great point, Pastor Brody, a little guitar for you there. So this is what happens for those that, that uh, choose to serve, that to, to disciple is to serve. See, there's going to be a new day in our church soon as things are going to start getting back to normal. And it is our prayer and our desire that new, newer people will continue to come into our congregation. We can have the attitude that I'm so glad that they came to us. I'm so glad that they've come here for us, that they want to be a part of us. That's good. But actually the Lord could really do a work in their life. If you choose to be someone that will serve them, that will go to them and be there to make an impact in their life. We've got to get that of what Jesus was doing here. To disciple is to serve. And then finally, in verses 16 through 17. Very truly I tell you, no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says, regarding feet washing, Regarding serving, you will be blessed if you do them. I, I, I like to ask the question of our, our people that in our congregation have participated in love feasts. What, what happens to those that participate? What is it that you like about this event? What is it that it's done for you? And oftentimes I hear them tell about remembering what it was like when, 
when others were there with us. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot like that verse in Hebrews as well that says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's like this feeling that we're doing something that's just small in our church, but it's connected to something much bigger. And even those who have gone on before us, some people talk about the humility. Some people talk about just this, this emotional connection that they get that they can't even put their, their, their words to it, but it's just something special for them. And so I just want you to take a moment and compare what it, have, what it, what it would have been like to have for those disciples to have Jesus wash their feet, to have the Son of God, the man that they believe is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that they've seen do all these miracles, now he is serving me. To know the capacity that, that he has, to know the potential that he has, and to watch him serve you and take the posture that he has now taken with you. Just try to imagine that for a moment. There's something just powerful in that expression. He is my God, yet he came to serve me. And now, try to take that into what it's like when we, when we choose to serve each other in this way. Those of you that have had someone else wash your feet, or it, it, imagine what that experience was like for you, or those that haven't, imagine it for yourself. To have someone, an imperfect person, not claiming a higher position than you, not claiming some goofy class system or, or something that says that, that you're inferior to them. Imagine what that experience might be like. Because see, the church is now as Jesus in the flesh. This is the commission that Jesus gives us in 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You disciples, you church, this church, you will be blessed if you do these things. And so imagine what it would be like, what it's like when someone washes your feet. And in these moments, these are some other things that I've heard too. It's like we all become human again. We're not competing with each other. You know, because there's these things in this, in this life that get all of us that are, that, 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 that they don't show respect for anyone. Grief gets all of us sometimes. Physical health gets to all of us at some point. The weight of, and the filth of sin gets to all of us sometimes. And daggone it, we all have this nagging tendency to make mistakes and do stupid things from time to time that embarrass us even. In these moments, we're reminded that we're not perfect and neither is that person across from me. But man, we are all in this together. And we have, is the, is, is the, the word I used was sanctification. This is where we get to set each other apart and remind each other of who it is that we are. You are a child of the living God. You are a son of the living God. You are a daughter of the living God. See, the important thing is that although we do not, we do plan to continue our love feast in the future, and we don't need a love feast or water in a towel to do the things that we have been talking about today. So hear me. Someone you know may just need a phone call. Someone you know 
may need to receive forgiveness. You may need to ask for their forgiveness. Or you may need to tell them, I forgive you. Someone you know doesn't need you to call and fix things for them. Someone you know probably just needs you to call and listen. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what's troubling you. Maybe someone does just need something done. Maybe a simple task or some sweat labor and you have the skills to do it. Maybe someone just simply needs affirmation to be encouraged, to be reminded of who they are. And that is the metaphor, the mystery of what Jesus was doing for his disciples, what he commissions all of us to keep doing today, to set each other apart in a way that says you are a child of God and created for your purpose, for his purposes. And Jesus is not in the flesh to do this, but his spirit is within me. And as the son of God affirming you, you are a child of God and I am here to serve you. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. For these moments where we are reminded of who we are. We thank you for the theology and ways we can come to understand the work of sanctification, the work of regeneration. We thank you, Lord, that you give a simple application that says to disciple is to serve. But now we also receive a commission as the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we are now as Jesus in the flesh to the world around us. We have a command to now go and serve those you have placed before us. Lord, with great humility, may we be reminded that this is not just a Palm Sunday experience, but this is an everyday identity that we must take on. Today, sometimes we, we share a message your word. It gives us some words of encouragement directly to us, but today it's truly a commission to remind us of the power that we have because Jesus says, now go and do what I have done. Holy Spirit, in your way of divine intervention, may you illumine, illuminate ways that, that those in this congregation can serve you this week. Someone that just needs a point of connection. Someone that needs to be empowered. Someone that needs to be encouraged. Someone that needs to just have that sense of the filth of this world and the competitiveness and the striving and the, and the, the physical health, the sickness. All of those things just need to be washed away just for a moment and they need to be reminded of who they are. And there is an anointing upon those in this room to do that very thing. May they respond to your commission as they sense your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand now for your benediction. Remind you, of course, we have the offering plates in the back. May you receive the work of God in your life. And allow the spirit of God to cleanse you. And as Christ has set the example, may you be a part of the universal church and serve those that the Lord has placed in your life for you to minister to. God bless you and have a wonderful week.